Given the raucous, chaotic times in our land, it seemed um, serendipitous that the scripture from Mark came along today. It allows us to take several steps back and consider some essential foundational ideas. Some years ago, while attending a party during a fierce winter storm, an interesting conversation evolved with a woman I'll identify as Alice. She was a smart professional, a lawyer, I think. And as small talk among strangers at such a gathering under such conditions might evolve, we were discussing the weather under the heading of big storms we had remembered and endured. Alice reported that she had an affinity for storms. In fact, it was during a storm that she experienced a profound spiritual awakening. She said she didn't speak of it very often to very many people because though it was dramatic in a way, she wasn't certain that one, anyone would really believe her, or two, that she should share it at all anyway, since it was such an intensely personal event. My curiosity aroused and choosing to take her at her word, I invited her to say more. Alice then recounted that when she was growing up on the Chesapeake Bay, her family often spent time on their boat up and down the East Coast, sometimes venturing as far south as the Caribbean. Both parents were competent sailors and great respecters of their relative frailty in comparison to the elements, but on one occasion, a very fierce squall came up, caught them unawares. Alice was about 17, she said, old enough to be a seasoned mariner and helpful to the captains, but not quite experienced enough to understand her true vulnerability. And so it happened that while trying to tie down a loosened rope, the boat rocked sharply to the starboard, allowing a large swell to break over the hull, whisking her off the deck. She didn't know how long she was encased in the swirling blackness, sheer terror, maybe 20 seconds. And then bobbing up on another swell, she was set back aboard just a few feet from where she had been standing. No one else witnessed this. Her parents did not know that for, for a 20 seconds or so they had lost their daughter to the sea. Only Alice was left in a completely astonished state. She was probably, I'm guessing, around 37 or so when I was speaking with her. She said she was transformed in that moment, even reborn, she thinks, although it had taken the last 20 years to absorb the meaning of those 20 seconds. And then she was sure she would never really completely absorb it, except perhaps at her death. Alice didn't understand how the equation was put together, but somehow the alchemy of her fear and vulnerability and rescue added up to faith. That's why she loved storms so. They reminded her of who was who and what was what. 
storms aroused the adrenaline rush of fear, but the fear brought faith. It was paradoxical. She said she knew it sounded strange, but that's how it was for her. That's how she came to know God. Now, as another story is told, as you just heard, perhaps wearied from teaching, Jesus suggests to his friends that they take their boats to the other side of the Lake of Galilee. And here, let me make pause and make a brief advertisement. Next May, the second half of May, last two weeks, we're going on our next trip to Israel-Palestine. And I want to strongly encourage you to consider this if you have never been. As you know, I am a big proponent of American Christians getting over there for a whole variety of reasons. Among them is to connect the land with your faith, but also to become aware of the current situation in Israel-Palestine. And we do both really well. We customize our experience, and it's a powerful experience. You can learn about that at our connection table or check it out online. The reason this comes to mind is because among the things you will do is you will be in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And many of the participants say that was one of the most affective times of the whole trip. We often will just sit in quiet on the lake. It's quite inspiring. So Jesus asked his friends to get into the boat and travel to the other side of the lake. But during the night, a fierce storm arises. The disciples fear for their lives as the waves overwhelm the sides of the boat. They find Jesus in the stern, reclining on a cushion of all things, fast asleep. And awakening him, they ask, don't you care that we're perishing in this storm? The storyteller relates that after calming the storm, Jesus says, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? The question this story raises is among the most basic. Will we trust God? As is often the case in the scriptures, the disciples initially fail the test. And even though they've had the advantage of traveling around with Jesus, when up against the power of their own fear, trust is the very first casualty. Fear and doubt overwhelm the disciples as the water overwhelms the boat. And why not? I'm guessing they had lost comrades, perhaps family members, to violent water. After all, they were fishermen. Fishing was a reasonably hazardous occupation. Beyond a certain point, water was a completely unforgiving environment, and even experienced sailors knew that just one mistake could be their last. Evidently, these disciples thought they had their literal life preserver in the form of Jesus sleeping in their stern. And as the story is told, so he turned out to be, but only for the time being. After all, none of them would live forever. In our clearer moments, we recognize that every life-saving moment is but a reprieve from the inevitable. We make uneasy peace with this by saying that, well, you know, if only I can live into old age with my various faculties intact, I will have lived well. 
In a sense, we think of it as a question of fairness. It's, it's only fair that I live to be, a, say, a healthy and hearty 90. This attitude it focuses our entire medical system. And I can't say I disagree with this sentiment, but I do recognize it is driven by our concern and sometimes despair over the inevitable reality of our ultimate demise. You know, experience in my work has revealed that to greater or lesser degrees, all of us run scared a lot of the time. All of us. Many don't realize how frightened they are. They've been running scared for so long they've forgotten what it's like not to. And the macho people who proclaim that they are not scared of anything are the most frightened of all because they even fear their own fear. Do you know bullies? Bullies are actually among the most fearful people in the world. Not by their admission, of course, but by their self-defense. Fear is such a constant companion in the background of our being, we are usually neither aware of it nor able to imagine living without it. A woman recently reported to me that she had a condition that her doctor described as precancerous. And as she told me this story, she leaned back her head and laughed a glorious laughter and telling me that she was reminded of a time the comedian George Carlin remarked that we are all precancerous. And so we are. And so we are. Is it impolite to say so? It's no less true. Life is fragile and exhilarating. A boat on the sea is at best a precarious adventure. The sea is mighty and completely indifferent to those who float upon its surface. It would seem to defy reason that we would ever embark upon the sea with no more than the enlarged peapot of a hull to keep us above the waves. But people have been defying reason in this manner for many thousands of years. We are out of place. We are literally out of our element. Do you remember what this place is called in a traditional church, what this space is called? You know, what is this space called? You guys know? A nave, that's right. Nave comes from the Latin, right? That means ship. No doubt in part inspired by today's story. This sanctuary, this upside down hull, this nave, is a ship with an odd collection of mates and travelers on board. You, you, an odd collection of mates and travelers on board, each which to varying degrees are acquainted with the primal fear of their predicament, whether or not they have conscious awareness of this. In the gospel story, the disciples discover their fear is no match for the God Jesus reveals. Yes, he grants a reprieve for the time being. He intervenes in this way for now. But his motive, you know, friends, his motive is a lot larger than their immediate situation. He knows what yet lies ahead for them. He seeks to under, overcome their fear forever, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of ultimate physical outcomes. He seeks to provide an eternal peace born from an internal spiritual calming of the waters. 
Writing from a prison cell, the Apostle Paul referred to this as the peace from God that surpasses all understanding. Jesus not only saves their lives, he wants them liberated from fear forever. This confidence is found elsewhere in Paul as he writes to his friends in Corinth. As you heard this morning, I don't know if you were listening, but he said he endured, get the list, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, hunger, and still, he says, as though having nothing yet possessed everything. Well, how can this be? How can it be as though he had possessed everything? As he will write to other friends, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is able to separate us from God's love, not even death itself. The one essential fact of our existence is that we are gods. We are loved beyond our wildest imaginings. As the 13th century mystic Julian of Norwich wrote, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of thing shall be well. Well, how did she know this? How did she know this? She knew it through a heart of faith. Where does faith like that come from? This is a great mystery. Well, it comes as a gift from God for those who will receive it. It could be as simple as holding your hands open like this and, and asking simply, loving God, Grant me a heart of faith. Could be as simple as that. Faith drives life confidently into the future, regardless of circumstance. On the one hand, this morning we see ourselves and the disciples scared out of our wits, caught in the storm at sea. On the other, we want to identify with Paul's joyful, if bewildering, confidence in the midst of danger and calamity. You know, there's an ancient symbolism in baptism which we don't quite capture with the little bit of water we use. Do you guys do immersion in your church? Do you have immersion baptism? Yeah, so you guys have an advantage here to us in this regard. If we were to practice immersion more regularly, we would have a more potent reminder that in baptism we are spiritually drowned. Just like Alice was. And then re-emerging from the water, set upon the deck of the ship. That's why this is a nave. A vessel set to sail on a sometimes perilous journey. Fear? 
Yeah, yeah, we're going to have some fear. But it's no match for the divine grace that's larger than any power we could imagine. It is of the same power that gave us life and breath in the first place. And as is my want, I want to remember a prayer that is in our funeral liturgy. I know that sounds sort of odd, but it's a spectacular prayer that captures the essence of what we're talking about. And it goes like this. Holy God, help me to live as one who is prepared to die. And when my days here are accomplished, help me to die as one who goes forth to live, so that living or dying, my life may be in you. And nothing in life or in death will be able to separate me from your great love in Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is the heart of the matter. That's the heart of the message here, friends. It's a great gift. <laughs>